Hello, it's Kirsty here. Just another quick reminder before we kick off that we really need your help. If you think it's important that the economic assumptions that shape our lives are challenged or you just can't get enough of my econolols, econolols, uh, you can help us come back for a new series in the new year by simply going to neweconomics.org forward slash podcast to give five pounds or whatever you can afford. A massive thanks to all of you who've already given your ace. To the rest of you, I'm sure you're ace too. Prove me right at neweconomics.org forward slash podcast. Right, on with the show. What is your favourite mythical character, Josh? My favourite mythical character? I guess you can also have superhero or kind of fairy tale. Yeah, I'm quite keen on Batman, I have to admit. Is it the chiselled I think it's the gothic, dark, slightly scary aspect of him. Who's your um, favourite Batman? Probably Michael Keaton. Hi. Bruce Wayne. Are you sure? So have you seen the most recent one where he goes like, Hello. Yeah, I thought that one was pretty awful. Yes. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Every Friday, I have lost my mind. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. This week, we're chatting to Josh Ryan Collins, director of NEF's economy and finance team, about the big old Bank of England. government will set the inflation target, the Bank of England will be charged with the setting of interest rates and it will do it through the Monetary Policy Committee. The political power in terms of moving interest rates has now been moved away and now is with the Governor of the Bank of England. There is no politician involved in that committee at all. It's not totally independent. You have to regard this as a bit like a goat being tethered. It's just that the tether's now been extended and the goat can now graze a little bit further. It's been a long, long march for the British economy since the bank cut its interest rate to almost zero at the beginning of 2009. Let me be clear, we will guarantee independence, the independence of the Bank of England, but it's time though to open up the debate on the bank's mandate that was set by Parliament 18 years ago. So welcome back on the show, Josh. Not too traumatised after last time. Not too bad. Thanks, Kirsty. So this week, the Bank of England held interest rates at their record low rate of 0.5% for the 80th time. Meanwhile, the Bank of England, which is the body doing the quantitative easing that we spoke about last week, is also about to see some changes thanks to a bill going through Parliament this week. So first things, as always first, what exactly is the Bank of England? Well, the Bank of England is the UK's central bank and the popularly understood role of central banks is to maintain the stability of the currency, in our case sterling, by preventing too much or too little money entering the economy. That's why it's generally called monetary policy, what central banks do. Um, Central banks were initially set up to uh, actually help private rich people lend to, to governments. Um, which a lot of people probably don't know. Um, I did not know that. No. You fucked me. <laughs> so they were, they were set up as private rather than public institutions, interestingly. Um, but over time, they've taken on more of a sort of public function where their job is, as I said, to maintain price stability, but also to try and sort of look after the financial system and prevent private banks um, you know, going 
bust, losing money, etc. So the Bank of England is the UK central bank, as you've said. Do other countries have central banks and how do they differ from our own? Yes, nearly all uh, modern countries have, have central banks. And actually, because the Bank of England was uh, one of the first central banks and England at that time was one of the most powerful colonising nations in the world, you've actually found that our model of how a central bank should work is very popular and spread round round the world. So let's go back to the Bank of England and the interest rate announcement last week. How and why does the Bank of England set interest rates? Well, the Bank of England sets interest rates to try and control inflation primarily. Uh, that's its its main target. And the idea is is really quite simple. The bank sets what's called the base rate, which is the rate which commercial banks, which create the money supply, uh, must borrow from the Bank of England. And all the other interest rates are reflected uh, on, by this rate. So the rate that we borrow from commercial banks it goes up or goes down based upon the rate that the commercial banks can borrow from the Bank of England. So the idea is that if the base rate uh, is lowered, money effectively becomes cheaper. It's cheaper to borrow. So there'll be more money in the economy if interest rates are lowered. The opposite also applies. If interest rates are raised, the cost of borrowing for commercial banks to the Bank of England rises and they pass on that cost to customers borrowing from them. So in that way, the, the Bank of England looks at the rate of inflation and either raises or lowers interest rates. OK, and a jargon buster, just inflation, just for us quickly. So inflation is defined as the change in the price level of goods and services in the economy. And importantly, the Bank of England only looks at consumer prices and goods. It doesn't look at asset prices or house prices, for example. So one of the first things that Tony Blair's Labour government did uh, when it came to power in 1997 was to make the Bank of England independent. Uh, this is widely regarded as one of their biggest achievements. So why did they do that, Josh? Well, at the time, there was a sort of widespread theory that there was a danger of monetary policy being too influenced by politicians and by politics more generally. And in particular, there was a fear that if politicians had too much influence on the rate of interest that was set by the central banks, they would tend to, for example, force central banks to lower interest rates just before elections in order to try and gr create growth, to buy votes, essentially. And this was seen as being potentially inflationary in the, in the longer term as people started to get used to the idea that politicians would push central banks to push down interest rates, which would lead to too much money in the economy, which would lead to inflation. So by disconnecting politicians from the interest rate decision, the idea was with an independent, operationally independent central bank, you would stop that problem arising. So just looking at whether or not they actually achieved independence, does the Bank of England act without politicians messing around with it? I think you, you can make an argument that uh, since, the, uh, since this decision was taken in 1997, inflation uh, has been more stable. But as I said, this very narrow definition of inflation, consumer price inflation, uh, asset price inflation uh, has risen quite fast. And actually what you saw post the crisis was politicians demanding that the central bank start to take more seriously this aspect. So ultimately, I don't think you can just say that 
we are in a better situation because the Bank of England has more independence from politicians. And so asset prices, again, just for, just for the jargon. So asset prices are essentially the prices of existing assets in the economy, including houses, including uh, shares, stocks and shares, financial assets, um, anything that's not newly created. Okay, and because there's quite a, been a boom in property prices, that might mean that asset prices are going up far more quickly than consumer prices. Yes, I mean, the main sort of failure of the Bank of England uh, leading up to the financial crisis was that it wasn't looking at asset prices. It was only looking at consumer price inflation. Uh, thereby, it didn't do anything to intervene in this huge asset price bubble that we saw, house price bubble. Um, it simply allowed it to happen. Okay, so is that why they didn't stop the economic crash or they didn't see it coming? That's one of the main reasons, certainly. I mean, they were basically looking at the wrong thing. Um, and you could argue that by giving banks uh, operational independence, um, partially this led to this scenario because freed of political constraints, what happened at central banks is they began to focus more and more on this narrow uh, theory that you could essentially steer the economy by focusing only on consumer price inflation. And they, they, they knew that asset prices, house prices were increasing. They, they had you know record of it happening in front of them. But they just didn't think it was a problem because they trusted the market and they thought it was better if there was going to be a crash to clean up the mess afterwards than try and intervene in the free market. Now, this is a, an important part of the sort of neoliberal story that you, you always let, you deregulate markets and you let them do what they, they need to do to get the most efficient outcomes. So it sounds like the Bank of England has failed to do some of the things that uh, independence promised. Um, do you think it should be organised in a different way to achieve what the Bank of England might set out to do? Yeah, I think there's a strong argument for widening the, the mandate of the central bank. So currently the mandate is that it must hit a 2% inflation target every quarter. Um, but this, as I said, is a very narrow mandate, particularly if we're just talking about consumer price inflation. There's an argument to say the bank should be focused on a wider range of objectives, including, for example, full employment or high levels of employment, uh, inequality issues, and very importantly, asset prices, house prices, as well as just consumer price inflation. And also, I think there's a case for saying that the bank itself needs to expand the kinds of instruments it uses to achieve those objectives. Just using interest rates is a very crude tool. It doesn't, for example, ensure that more funding goes into those parts of the economy where it's needed, such as productive investment in house, house building or green energy production. So I think we need a wider mandate and we need to encourage the bank to use different types of instruments. OK, so is this kind of stuff happening or, you know, with other central banks in the world at present? Yes, it does. And actually in East Asia, for example, in China, to some extent in India and Japan, um, central banks do have a, a wider mandate. Um, they do, for example, uh, focus on ensuring uh, bank lending goes into productive areas or industrial, strategic industrial parts of the economy. And historically, actually, central banks in the post-war period did much more of this. So central banks were sort of agents of economic development as well as being purely focused on price stability. OK, so um, can the Bank of England do all those things um staying independent or do you think it should come back under central control? I think there is a strong argument to say that decisions over 
the money supply and how much money is created in the economy should be separated from short-term political considerations. We, we can't have a situation where a politician wants more money going to this pet project and the Bank of England then helps that ha- happen. However, at the same time, if the Bank of England, in being highly independent, is influenced more by, for example, the needs of banks, commercial banks in the city, than by the needs of, for example, um, people on low incomes, you know, all around the country, then we do have a problem because that is not a system that is necessarily going to create the best outcome. So we need to find a balance. So um, this Bank of England bill, as I said at the beginning, is going through Parliament. Um, What do you think this will do to fix uh, some of the problems that we've talked about? And do you think it will achieve any of the goals that you've set out? The Bank of England bill is essentially bringing together some regulatory functions that used to be outside the Bank of England. In particular, you may remember, we used to have the Financial Services Authority. And after the crisis, the Conservative government said one of the main reasons for the crisis was there wasn't enough coordination between these bodies. So you can buy that argument that by bringing the the FSA into the Bank of England, it's now called the Prudential Regulation Authority, you might get better sharing of information and communication between those bodies. But there's a a slight danger as well with, with what the bank is doing with this bill, because it's bringing bodies that previously were fully accountable to parliament and subject to the scrutiny, democratic scrutiny, freedom of information, for example, into an independent institution, the Bank of England. And that means that these bodies, it it looks like, will have the same privileges that the Monetary Policy Committee, which sets interest rates, currently has. Uh, So the Monetary Policy Committee is not subject to the same kinds of parliamentary scrutiny and freedom of information and National Audit Office um, investigations that other government departments are subject to. So there's a, there's a concern around whether this bill actually is going to mean even less scrutiny and more power, more unaccountable power to the Bank of England. Great, Josh. Thank you so much for coming in um, to tell us a bit more about the bill and about the Bank of England and uh, how we might, uh, if possible, get a more accountable uh, central bank. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Kirsty. Thanks. Thanks, as always, for listening. And remember, please help us come back for another series at neweconomics.org forward slash podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the new... I can't wait. Okay, I'll do it again. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, the independent think tank and charity campaigning for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org. Yeah! <laughs>